My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Cross Point Church. We'd like to welcome you. If you are a guest with us this morning, thank you so much for coming. I know how uh, challenging, challenging it can be and maybe even intimidating to walk into a new church and, not, and, with, and to be around a lot of people you don't know. But we're so glad that you took that step this morning and we want you to feel welcome. Uh, it, my wife and I, actually my family, we went to a different church last week. We, we only get so many weeks throughout the year where we don't have to be here. And so we take the opportunity whenever we can to visit other churches in the area. And, uh, and usually we go to a church where I have a, a friend who's a pastor there. And we go there to encourage them, to see what they're about, to uh, get to know some new people, to get new ideas maybe, or whatever God would have for us. And so last week we went to Lake Point Church in Muskego. It was a great, it was a great experience. We love Lake Point. We love everything they're doing in the community um, they have actually helped us out in, in a few ways when we moved, and, um, and so they've just been a blessing to us, and we wanted to be a blessing to them, so we went and visited them last week, and it was really good. But it's great to be back at Cross Point this morning. We're starting off a new series, as Don mentioned, called We're Moving, and there are two primary goals that I have throughout, the, throughout this series. The first goal is that when we're done with this series, we're going to move. That's the first goal. And by the way, both of these goals are ambitious, but realistic. I should point that out. So the first goal is that when the series is over, uh, which will be in six weeks, that the following week we will be worshiping in our new permanent facility. The second goal is that over the next six weeks, starting today, that we as a church would build momentum. That's the second big ambitious yet realistic goal that I have for this series. And uh, I'm actually going to have, um, I'm, I'm going to let someone else kick off the, uh, the series and kind of introduce the series to you this morning by means of a, of a movie clip, and we're going to hopefully show that right now. Whoa, what's going on, Mr. Voss? Biology, Derek. Fair enough. Can someone tell me what happens when a cell stagnates? Okay. No one's listening to me. I will try again. Anyone know what happens to a stagnant cell? What's he doing on the table? I don't know. Something about cells. Malia. It's not good. Did you hear that? It ain't good. People. A cell that is not in motion is not a productive member of the system. It ends up assuming all the other cells are going to pick up the slack somewhere, but they don't. In fact, they imitate the stray cell until basically the whole organism begins to die. Yeah. But you know what? Biology is an amazing thing. And here's the good news. All that decays can be restored. It's just hitting anybody. Like how a cut heals. Like how a cut heals. Brian, my man. Oh, yeah, you got one. <laughs> and once that cell is back on track, it creates energy amongst the other cells. That's what happens. It starts getting a little movement going. It gets a little rumble. Can I get a little rumble from everybody? Everybody just rumble in your seats right now for me. Just rumble a little bit. Okay, no rumble. That's fine. I'll be the lone rumbler up here. That's what I am. I'm a lone rumbler. But then the cell starts banging into the other cells. And the cells push back and go, hey, what are you doing to me? They hit into another one. Hey, don't do that. He has my friend. You don't even know him. You don't know me either. 
no, you, we work together. Because then they hit a rhythm. They all hit a rhythm. And this is the beginning of the restorative process. So now, even if the entire system is close to dead, what happens? Martinez, come on. Give me something. Oh, no. Not today. Oh, no, not in my house. No, 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 no. Look out. Here we come. Don't look up my pant leg, Derek. You're better than that. I'm right over you. Come on, man. What do you say? If all the cells work together, what will happen? Entire system is healed. Exactly. That is a sick dragon. Yeah! All right. So the point I wanted to, to make just by showing that little clip is that God uses momentum all over his creation. God uses momentum in biology, in, in cell biology, to heal and restore uh, in fact, God uses, mo God uses momentum spiritually to heal and restore as well. And many of you have experienced that, that healing. Momentum is an awesome thing that leads to healing and restoration and growth in every sphere of life. Think about the Green Bay Packers. I hate to bring this up right now, but think about the Packers. In November, the Green Bay Packers were 4-6. and six. They had lost four straight games. They were just coming off a brutal defeat. From the Washington Redskins, they lost 42-24. to 24. Some people were ready to give up on the Packers. Many Packer fans were already looking forward to, to the next season. <laughs> but then something happened. A kind of shift took place. And the Green Bay Packers won their next six games to win the NFC North. And nobody really saw that coming. What did the Green Bay Packers have more than any other team entering the playoffs this year? Momentum. Right? That's what they had. And they didn't just win those, those next six games. They won two more games to land them in the NFC championship game, which we won't talk about this morning. Now, have you ever known someone who just kept winning? Like, no matter what they did, it, it just, they just it had success. And you wonder, what do they have that I don't? Why do they seem to have success on every side and I don't? Why do they always seem to be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, and I can't seem to catch a break? The answer is momentum. That's what they have. They have momentum, and that's what you maybe don't have. If you're in a career that has momentum, things are good. Even when there are obstacles or disappointments, even when you have a bad day at work, it's okay because you know your career's going somewhere. Your career's headed somewhere. Your career has momentum. On the other hand, if you're in a career that you feel isn't going anywhere, the bad things always feel worse, and the good things don't feel that great. Isn't that true? And this is also true, I think, in relationships. If you're in a marriage that is stuck, bad things always seem worse, and the good things never seem to last. But when a marriage has momentum... You, you look at, if you've ever seen a couple, a married couple that has momentum, you, you look at them and you think, what do they have and why don't we have that? Or how can we get that back? You know, you can just tell when a couple has that 
kind of momentum. You know, they're so into each other, and they're all affectionate and focused on one another, and they genuinely enjoy just being together because they have momentum. And disappointments don't seem to phase them at all. Now, this, this dynamic is also true of churches. It's also true of churches. When a church has lost momentum, people tend to make a big deal out of small disappointments. And little problems become big problems, and things that should give you joy somehow become a drag when you don't have momentum. And you know what else happens? When you lose momentum and you haven't had it for a while, you find it really hard to celebrate momentum in other people and even other churches. The ability to celebrate success and, and to celebrate blessings in someone else's life is really uniquely Christian, I think. When you have momentum in your relationship with God, you will find yourself celebrating other people's successes even if you absorb, absorb the cost of their success. That's sort of what being a Christian is about. But when you lose momentum, you can't do that anymore. Celebration turns to envy. But churches that celebrate success in other churches are always churches with momentum. And that's the kind of church that we are. Now I'd like you to know before we go any further that I'm not an expert on momentum. I, I'm really not. There, there are times in my life where I feel like I don't have it and other times where I feel like I do. And I can't always pinpoint how that happened or where the momentum came from. It's kind of difficult. You just kind of know when you have it. And you kind of know when you don't. What I do know is that momentum is a powerful force that we desperately need. And momentum is ours for the taking. In other words, we have the ability in Jesus Christ to create momentum as a church. We have that ability. And to learn about momentum this morning, we're going to search God's word together. And we're going to start in the Gospel of Matthew with the words of Jesus as he spoke with his disciples about this new reality that they'd never heard about before, but that was coming and that would take the world by storm. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, Matthew. Otherwise, we're going to have the verse on the screen behind me. The verse we're going to read is Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And here's what Jesus said. And I tell you, you are Peter. He was talking to the disciple Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This was Jesus' introduction to this new reality called the church. And Jesus promised that he was going to start this new thing called his church. And, and he also was going to establish the church through this new covenant that Jesus would make with his people, a covenant made with his own body and blood. It's called the new covenant all throughout the New Testament. It's never called the old covenant with a few tweaks. It's the new covenant. It's something brand new. And it's something that created momentum. And so powerful is the momentum Jesus gives his church that not even all the powers of hell can stop it. After Jesus died and rose again, we read in the book of Acts. We've been actually studying the book of Acts in my Tuesday morning Bible study. We meet at 10 a.m. 
in the offices every Tuesday morning, and we've been going through the book of Acts, a group of six, uh, seven, or eight people a week. It's been really fun the last few months, and one of the things that I've been seeing as we've gone through the book of Acts, and I hadn't really considered this before, is just how much momentum the early church had. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus, uh, actually the writer of Acts, Luke, kind of picks up where he left off in his gospel in Acts 1.8, when Jesus gives his last words to the disciples, and he said to them in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Do you know what the disciples did next? Nothing. They stood up and stared into heaven. And then some angel came and said, hey, what are you doing? You need to to go back home and Jesus is going to come back. So you have a lot to do. So they, they went back to Jerusalem and they waited and prayed. And they waited and prayed. And they waited and waited and prayed and prayed. Because they understood that they could not create this momentum without God. And in particular, without the Holy Spirit, who Jesus promised he would send to them to give them power. And so, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit shows up. And he fills the room where the apostles are. And he fills the apostles with power. And Peter stands up in the midst of thousands of people who are in Jerusalem at that time to celebrate Pentecost Jews from all over the world, speaking different languages and all of that. And Peter preaches a sermon and over 3,000 people turn to Jesus for salvation and are baptized in one day. (laughs) Think about that. And at the end of chapter 2, we read about this new group of people. And we read this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now that, my friends, is momentum. That's momentum. Something new has begun. The Holy Spirit filled, the, filled God's people, empowered them for gospel ministry. That was new. Baptizing people who put their faith in Jesus. Immersing them underwater. That was new. Gathering daily and weekly for meals and prayer to express their new identity in Christ was new. Selling their possessions and giving to anyone in need was a new thing. No movement in all the world's history had ever started this way or functioned this way. It was all new and God was adding to their number every day. That is momentum. They had more momentum than any other movement in the world. And here's the principle I want you to see. This is so important. New triggers momentum. (laughs) It's so simple, isn't it? New triggers momentum. Momentum is not triggered by tweaking something old. 
Momentum is triggered by introducing something new. It could be a new relationship. It could be a new leader, a new idea, a new initiative, a new direction or vision, a new program. It could be a new plan. It could be a new event. But new is what triggers momentum. We see it all over God's word. My wife and I were at Walmart this past week picking up a few things. And I thought, why don't we look around while we're here and let's see if we can find anything, any packaging or products with the word new on it. And let's see what we find. We didn't go all over the store. We were just on one end of the store in kind of the grocery section. And we just were kind of walking through the aisles. It took about, I don't know, five or eight minutes for us to do this. And we filled up two, these are actually Sendix bags, but we filled up, you know, all this with, with stuff that had new on. I'd like to show you some of the things we found. Cracker Jack. How long has Cracker Jack been around? Like 80 years or longer, right? New prize inside. I thought they'd been putting prizes in there for a long time. But that's new, I guess. Raisin Bran, new. Raisin Bran Crunch, a new flavor, right? How about uh, Keebler Fudge Stripes? Cookies and cream. That's new. Doesn't that grab your attention? Don't you want to eat these right now? How about V8? Fresh new look. Really? I guess. Kleenex. Kleenex. New look. Look, listen. Kleenex brand. I mean, if you want to blow your nose, you ask for a Kleenex. You don't think about the brand. Kleenex, like, owns the market on Kleenex. And it's, it's saying new. It's trying to get our attention. They don't have to do any more marketing if you, I, I don't think, but they're, they're pushing ahead. Tortilla strips on the border. New. And this one is the best, you guys. This is a package of toilet paper. New look. Same feel. Does anyone here care what their toilet paper looks like? I have studied these rolls of toilet paper. I cannot for the life of me figure out what's new about the look. I mean, if they, if they made it in blue or something, that would stand out to me. But the greatest minds in marketing, okay, people who are experts of creating brand recognition and product development, all understand this principle. New triggers momentum. That's why, the, that's why it says new. They're, they're not satisfied with being the best. They're always improving, always adding, always changing. They all understand this concept. And that is good for us, actually. It's, this is a good thing for us because, as you know, in a few weeks, we, we, are, we are going to be, Lord willing, moving into a new, attractive, permanent location. And that's a good thing. That by itself will trigger some momentum for us as a church. It will. It's a, we're gonna, a lot of new people, guests, visitors, friends, family, are going to be coming through our doors, seeing what we're about, hearing the gospel of Jesus. It's going to create some momentum. However, we can't just move there. We can't just move there. That's not the goal, is to just move to a new location. We can't just move there and expect lasting change and sustained upward momentum. It doesn't work that way. 
Because there will always be momentum killers. And eventually, the building won't be new anymore. We all know that. And so the question is, what are the things that kill momentum? And how can we keep the momentum growing? That's the question. And we're going to learn from the early church this morning as we consider this. So kind of picking up where we left off in Acts chapter 4, the momentum that the early church had was threatened as two of their strongest, most visible, most powerful leaders, Peter and John, were detained by authorities. They were, Peter and John, it turns out, were greatly annoying the powers that be by preaching in the public square, healing people, performing miracles, talking about new life in Jesus, and they had, they had built up this huge following, thousands and thousands of people. And so the authorities didn't like this, because if, if this new movement got all this power, it was, it was taking away their power. And so they took Peter and John, they brought them in for questioning, and they began threatening them. And they told them, you can't talk about Jesus anymore, we don't like that. And Peter and John said, listen, you do what you got to do, but we can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard. We will not stop talking about Jesus because there's no other name than Jesus by which people can be saved. And so the, 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 the authorities threatened them a little more, and then they let them go. And when they went back to their church family, they reported what had happened, and the church prayed, and they praised God, and they submitted themselves to God's plan, and they asked God for boldness. And the room where they were was shaken. And the Holy Spirit filled them all, and they continued to talk about Jesus with great courage, and momentum grew, and more people were added to the church. So external opposition is one obstacle that we might face as a church. It's been, the church has always faced external opposition, but it doesn't have to slow down our momentum. The second thing, the second obstacle the early church faced was a breach of trust or a loss of trust. In Acts chapter 5, this couple came before the uh, leaders of the church and they presented an offering. And they lied about how much they had received from the selling of their property. They, they lied to Peter, they lied to the Holy Spirit, and God struck this man and his wife so that they fell down and died. It was Ananias and Sapphira. Maybe some of you remember that from Acts chapter 5. And great fear, we're told, came upon the whole church and even people who are outside of the church who heard about it. Now something like this could have stopped the momentum the church had. Think about it. If you were an outsider hearing about this happening in the church... Would you, would you say like, you, okay, so you mean this couple lied about how much money they sold their property for and God just struck them dead right there on the spot? When are your services again? I can't wait to visit. How can I become a member? And yet, a few verses later, we read in Acts chapter five fourteen, and more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Because this was different. This was something new. And the momentum grew. In Acts chapter 6, the very next chapter, another obstacle presents itself to the momentum the early church had. Internal conflict. Internal conflict. A particular group of widows, if you remember from Acts chapter 2, the people in the church were selling all their possessions and giving to anyone who had need. And this included taking care of their widows. And there were a lot of widows in the ancient uh, Greek-speaking world. In Jerusalem as well. 
And a particular group of widows, the Greek-speaking widows, weren't being well cared for. They were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food, and people started complaining about this. Conflict was brewing. And you know what happened? This could have totally killed the church's momentum. Internal conflict always has the potential to do that. But the senior leaders of the church took action. And here's what they did. They they didn't ignore the complaints. They didn't ignore the people complaining. And they didn't step in and micromanage the distribution of the food. That would have been a huge mistake. That would have killed the momentum. Instead, they said to the congregation, you guys choose a group of men who are qualified to handle this so that we can stay focused on what we're called to do, which is the, the ministry of God's word and prayer. And that's what they did. And the people chose seven men, and the leaders approved them. And guess what happened? The very next verse reads, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests even became obedient to the faith. Momentum grew more. The very next chapter, Acts chapter 7 and 8, another obstacle presents itself to the church's momentum. Stephen, who was one of the seven, a leader, a visible leader in the church, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, a visible, he was performing signs and wonders. He was a powerful, influential leader in the church. He was detained by the authorities. He was questioned and then dragged outside of the city and executed. He was executed. It was a tragedy. It could have been a huge blow to the early church. Not only that, but immediately following Stephen's execution, a man named Saul was going around persecuting Christians everywhere, ravaging the church, dragging off men and women, throwing them into prison. And followers of Jesus everywhere were being scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. They weren't as together anymore. Things were changing. And everywhere they went, everywhere those people were scattered, they talked about Jesus. And momentum grew. How does momentum grow in the face of tragedy? Think about that. I was thinking about 9-11 this past week. 9-11 as an event triggered a lot of momentum in our country, but it was both positive and negative momentum. On one hand, 9-11 triggered a lot of fear and hatred and conflict in our country. Isn't that true? Terrorist attacks on our soil caused 2,996 deaths, over 6,000 injuries, and over $3 billion in recovery costs. The enemy designed those attacks to trigger a kind of negative momentum in our country that would hopefully destroy our economy, destroy our fabric as a country, destroy our confidence, destroy our togetherness. That's what they wanted. But something happened that the enemy did not expect. The attacks on the World Trade Center also triggered a lot of positive momentum. It actually solidified our country in many ways, didn't it? It solidified, people came together to talk about important things. 9-11 brought people together as human beings and Americans to stand against evil. Tens of thousands of people 
who had already decided that they were never going back to church, started going back to church. And many of those people began following Jesus Christ. There was one man in Muskego, who I know, who was, uh, he had his own business. He was doing some contract work for, for businesses at the time, consulting and, and writing and things like that. He was so deeply affected by the events of 9-11 that he changed his direction in life. He realized that these attacks were motivated by religious reasons and that most Americans were spiritually empty. And he saw an opportunity for change. He saw an opportunity to influence people for Christ. He saw an opportunity for God to move into people's lives and homes and for God to take something horrible and tragic and use it for good. I mean, isn't that what God does best? And so by November, this happened, you know, 9-11, 2001, that November he took a job as a pastor overseeing pastoral care at a, at a large church in Rochester, New York. And by January, he and his wife packed up their stuff in Muskego and moved to New York where he started something new. That man is John Schmicke. One of our own pastors here. And he, his, it changed his life. 9-11 was a turning point for him. And do you know what happened in his life and in his church? Momentum. Negative circumstances, negative circumstances are often a turning point for positive momentum in a person's life or even the life of a church. Now the last, we could go all the way through the book of Acts today, and and there's so many examples we could use, but the last one I want to point out is in Acts chapter 13. And in Acts chapter 13, the church has kind of moved out of Jerusalem because of the Christians who were scattered after the persecution and after the death of Stephen. And the church in Antioch was sort of a, a hub for the early church. A lot of leaders were being developed. A lot of incredible momentum was happening. People were growing in their faith. The gospel was moving out into the Roman Empire. And Paul and Barnabas are called out to follow the Holy Spirit's leading away from the church in Antioch where they'd been serving for a long time. And Paul and Barnabas were very key leaders there. They were very influential, visible leaders. And the other leaders could have said, no, you can't go. We need you here. If you leave, we'll lose momentum. But they did not resist the Holy Spirit. Instead, they prayed and they sent Paul and Barnabas out to do the work that they were called to do. And guess what happened? Momentum grew some more. Now notice that in all the passages that we see in the book of Acts and all the summary statements about the church that talk about, you know, and then after this happened, the church grew and the church grew and the gospel went forth and more and more people came into the church. In all of those passages, we never hear anything like, and the church did nothing new and everything stayed the same and it was all good. We never read anything like that. The church was never meant to stand still or stay in one place. We were created to multiply. We were made to move. Momentum is part of our DNA. It's what the Holy Spirit gives us. And that brings us to the last momentum killer I want to mention today. And it's this. Complacency. Complacency. 
complacency or disengaged members, whatever you want to call it, is a huge momentum killer in the church. Over time, some people can become either complacent or disengaged, and because the church is a family where every single member has equal value and every single member has a vital role to play in the strength of the church and the movement of the whole family and in the movement of the gospel, when even one member is complacent or disengaged, the whole family feels it. We all lose something. You know, you know what we lose? We lose momentum. But the good news is this. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus by its very nature, is a message of momentum. Nothing can stop the gospel from advancing. No matter what happened in history, no matter where the gospel is preached, no matter how powerful the opposition is or the people are who are trying to stop it or trying to silence those who are speaking it, the gospel always advances. The kingdom of God always grows. It cannot be stopped. The kingdom of God is going to keep getting bigger. Sinners are going to keep hearing the gospel and turning to Jesus for salvation. Lives are going to keep being transformed. Disciples are going to keep being made. Wherever the gospel is preached, the kingdom of God grows. And we get to be part of that. We get to be a part of that. And I don't think there's anything more exciting than that. Than to be part of God's kingdom. Advancing, moving, growing. Seeing people redeemed. Seeing people's lives changed. Seeing hope fill the hopeless. Seeing the light come on in people's lives. Seeing the light of Jesus pull someone out of darkness. And completely turn them around. Completely change their life. Now, I know that when we, when we move, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be changes. But we aren't moving so that we can be more comfortable. This isn't even about us. The move to the new location isn't really even about us. It never was. We are moving so that more lives can be changed. We're moving so that more and more people can hear the gospel and be transformed from the inside out. We're moving to point more and more people to the cross of Jesus. That's, that's what this whole thing is about. So as we go through this series and as we talk about what to expect and what God is, where God is leading us and what God has you know, for us, for our best future, let's remember why we're here and why we're doing this. And let's get ready to see God do great things. Please join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to join you in doing something great, in doing something new that will impact many, many lives in this city and others. We pray that you would make us faithful, God. We thank you for the momentum that we have, and we pray that you would make us stronger. We pray that those who are complacent or disengaged would be drawn in and that they would become vital players in this movement. We pray, God, that you would fill us with your spirit like you did the, the members of your early church and that you would make us passionate about Jesus Christ and his gospel and passionate for those who are far from you, God. We pray that you would increase our faith, enlarge our expectations of you, even in the face of disappointment. Help us to be patient, to wait and pray, 
and to move when you make us ready to move. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.